Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries RPG podcast with John and Hannah. Hi. And we know it's been a hot minute, unfortunately, due to some minor health issues, but we're back. And uh, this week we're going to be looking at that bat-winged terror, the Varg Wheel. Okay, so I can see there, love, you've got the AD&D First Edition Monster Manual 2. So what does that say about the Varg Wheel? So, uh, we've got a fairly nice picture of a head with bat wings sticking out by its ears and tentacles sticking around where its neck would be. Yeah, that is pretty sweet, and it? It reminds me of some of the old, like, black and white art in the old, like, um, comics of, like, you know, like suspense mm-hmm. and horror comics that were sort of big before the, like, superhero comics took off. I, I really quite like that piece of artwork. Yep. And then we've got a paragraph telling us that they come from Tartarus Mm -hmm. and appear on the prime material plane to wreak havoc. Uh, Hideous flying heads with writhing tentacles appear at dusk and are gone by dawn. They layer in caves and caverns and they hate light. They attack and extinguish torches or smash lanterns and they avoid daylight. It blinds them. Okay. They're feared because their bite is so destructive that hit points are actually lost forever unless a saving throw versus poison is successfully made for each bite inflicted. That's pretty dangerous. That's 1d4 hit points lost and not restorable by any means short of a wish. They've got infravision, ultravision, and their treasure is incidental. Yeah, because I expect it's just like bits and pieces lying around from people they've killed, it's, rather than them actually having yeah, treasure. It specifically says if one of their victims had an item of value, then it's probably on the floor of their lair. All right, okay, cool. Well, the next time that they appear is in the Second Ed Monstrous Compendium Planescape Appendix, and the stats are pretty much the same, to be honest, as we'd expect. We get some additional description. They've got glowing green eyes, which you can see there on the lovely Tony DiTalesi artwork, mm-hmm. which I'm a massive fan of, as I'm sure listeners to the show <laughs> will know. They've got that shriek that can they've got a shriek that can paralyze people um, who fail a saving throw. They've got infravision. They still cause the permanent hit point loss, as described previously, although there's various spells that can now sort of mitigate that a little bit. Mm-hmm. So it's been toned down a bit, but it's still pretty dangerous. Um, they also now gain the Vargwheel's Kiss, where if they get a paralysed victim, they can effectively do this kiss on them that transforms the affected person into a Vargwheel within 1d6 hours. And that's something that makes them much more dangerous as a monster concept because now you know how you get more of them and it's possible for one of them to create a hundred more in a single night if it wanted to. Yeah, I also think for me as well, it sort of taps into that whole like body horror vibe. So Mm -hmm. if you think of that bit where the... um like in the thing where there's the guy where his head comes off and it turns into like the spider, it describes that like once you've done this Vargwheel's kiss on somebody, like when the final stages are reached, their sort of head breaks away and turns into this creature and flies off. So I think it leans on that sort of horror element quite a lot. Very much. And it says in here that this is the method by which they've spread throughout the multiverse, infecting mm-hmm. other people. 
we're told in here we get a bit more background we're told that they're rumored to be the creation of a wizard called Roz Vanke who eventually achieved lichdom and again I've made a note here quality artwork because I love that picture there I think it's classic Mm -hmm. I think of all of them that's probably the least creepy but also the most what I pictured the creature actually being yeah it's got a sort of a labyrinth goblins kind of a vibe to it that really works. Yeah, and I mean, I know for myself that um, having like had this like Planescape appendix, that this was the first sort of encounter I had with them. So mm-hmm. that artwork really sort of sold me on that. Mm-hmm. And so going from there, we're on to third ad. And the shocking mess that is the third Ed artwork. Do you want to comment on that before we go on? Yeah, thank you for letting me get my rant out of the way before we um, we, we delve into that third Ed. Now, looking at the artwork on here, it it just looks weird to me. It looks almost like something you'd come across in like an old like first person shooter. You know, where it's like, oh, it's a bit of a skull, but it's all like dull brown, and it's. It's still got the green eyes, but they don't really look alive. It looks just like very artificial, like a like an old sort of computer graphic, you know. I think the reason it invokes that computer graphic element is because I don't think the wings were originally part of that head. I don't think this originally was a Vargoyle, because if you look, it's got ears... Yeah. as well as the wings. So these wings haven't grown out of these ears. Yeah. I think maybe this was a Medusa head or something, and then these were dragon wings, and they've gone, oh, no, we haven't got a picture for the Vargoyle. Quick, Photoshop! Yeah, Cut, it, paste! It, it looks overly worked digitally to me. And I can see that they're trying to make it look a bit more demonic, maybe. But in a way, it looks less like a flying head and that was the horrifying thing to me you know you could become one of these creatures whereas that doesn't look anything like a human the head itself doesn't look alive it looks like a statue head somehow yeah there's no sort of like it's not (laughs) animated is it it's very static but anyway yeah let's move on from a rubbish in the artwork so i'd say we don't like it but Tell me about and the apologies to whoever worked so very hard on the third Ed Monster Manual because we do slag you off quite a lot. But yeah, the artwork was left a bit wanting there. But yeah, in, from in, our point of view, enough of rubbishing the artwork. <laughs> tell, tell us what the Vargwe was like in D and D three point five. So they're now from Carceri rather than Tartarus. So still from the outer plains. But just yeah, around a bit. you know, one of them gribbly hell places. Uh, They haunt graveyards, ruins, other places of death and decay. So, death places rather than dark places. Yeah. Um, Slightly larger than human head. Has a wingspan of four feet. Speaks infernal. Uh, And then we go on to the combat attacks. We have a shriek attack, which allows them to paralyse people. Yep. We have the kiss attack, which goes into quite a bit of detail about how the transformation occurs. Yeah, they were quite big on sort of like mm-hmm. describing how diseases progressed in like 3.5. 
and then we also have the poison so the kiss attack if you've been paralyzed they can come over and kiss you you get a DC 15 fortitude save you fail that you roll a d6 for that many hours like d6 hours that's how long it takes for your hair to fall out yeah another d6 that's how long it takes for your ears to grow into wings and for tentacles to start sprouting on your scalp and your chin so you're not dead yet and your mates have probably got a very good idea of what's going on by now yeah and this could be anywhere between 2 and 12 hours of gameplay next six hours you take an intelligence drain and a charisma drain one point per hour to a minimum of three one more d6 that's how many hours you've got before your head drops off and you're completely a vargoyle so yeah i mean i suppose it works in both ways in that sense because i, I like it because it it gives you a chance to build on that suspense and you know oh we've got to do something about it we can see it going on rather than just like boom you've turned into a Vargoyle but um, also as well to to my mind it makes it seem less dangerous because you've got a lot more time to like deal with it I don't know because you've effectively got between 4 and 24 hours and you don't know how long you've got between each yeah, of those. I suppose, I suppose yeah, the, the uncertainty factor is an interesting and just one. because the first phase took six hours doesn't mean the next three phases aren't only going to take an hour each. So you've still got to get your move on. Um, that's going to be one where whether or not the GM tells you how long this phase is going to take yeah. is going to have a big effect on how the players react to it. I, I do like and the fact... you're going to have to tailor it to your group. I do like the fact with the different stages that you should be able to see it's progressing. Mm-hmm. So obviously, like, your hair drops out, then you sprout the back wings, you'll be like, oh, right, it's kicking up a notch, but even if you don't know exactly how long. Mm-hmm. Okay, so anything else about the... Um... Ah, so also this transformation is interrupted by sunlight so again you get bitten right at the start of the night you might be transformed before midnight yeah you get bitten at the end of the night it might be a whole day and you might be like 20 miles down the road before you've even realised it started to affect because you've just been walking in the sun all day. However, if you've got a handy mage, you can cast like a daylight spell on like a pebble mm-hmm. or a light spell on a pebble or whatever, and you keep that next to you. And it does mention this. It's interrupted by this, but it does not reverse it. So that's just a way of like delaying it while you so, find a more permanent solution. Yeah, every second that you're away from your magic pebble is a problem, and it's going to presumably be quite difficult to keep your whole head in the light of a single magic pebble at any point. Um, You can reverse the transformation with the remove disease spell and the save is a DC... The save DC is constitution-based and includes a plus four racial bonus. See, one other thing I did notice about them in 3.5 is um, 
the the sort of permanent hit point loss they still sort of have it mm-hmm. but um healing spells now like completely cure it mm-hmm. whereas in the previous versions in first edition you couldn't get them back unless you got a wish spell that was it mm-hmm. in se- in second ed it was like you can heal a li- you can heal a little bit back with healing but that's it whereas in this it's like one healing spell boom Mm-hmm. it's all back you're cured so that's been sort of lessened a great deal I think it's because they are leaning more into that body horror aspect of it particularly as from a player's point of view of having somebody turning into the monster yeah yeah. and there wouldn't be all that detail there if they weren't expecting you to use it fair enough ok so the next appearance of them is in the 5th edition Volo's mm-hmm. Guide to Monsters, which I can see you've got there, love. So why don't you tell okay. us a bit what they're like in 5th edition? So, uh, I don't particularly like or dislike this artwork. It's just a bit generic, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's just it's, like float. It's nice enough. It does exactly what it needs to. It shows you the monster as it needs I, to. I like the fact that floating heads look a bit like pe- different people's heads. Mm-hmm. Which makes you think of the transformation, you know. Yeah, it's nice to see more than one of them, and then the one at the back that I'm not sure whether that's supposed to be an orc or something, or whether it's supposed to be one that's been a Vargoyle for longer, so it's lost all its hair, and... Anyway. Uh, so what does it say about the Vargoyles, then? Again, we get the description. It's a head with wings where the ears would be. Yep. Uh, no mention... Of tentacles in this description. And in the artwork, they've just got normal hair. Yeah, they have got a couple of little wiggly tentacles like round their chin, mm-hmm. but not much. Um, they're described as abyssal nuisances that hang around in the caves and skies in the abyss. Uh, the demons don't really bother about them unless they're there in massive numbers because there's not really much they can do to anything else in the abyss and they tend to sort of scavenge other creatures kills so they're more like pests and nuisances like you say Mm -hmm. rather than anything really dangerous to the other inhabitants of the abyss next section is called the world awaits and describes how they might hitchhike along when somebody summons a demon yeah. Because demon summoners rarely think to take precautions against this. So, I mean, you can picture this now, can't you? You've got your sort of 12th level mage, thinks he's Billy Biggins, summons a demon to do his bidding, and unbeknownst to him, off flaps a Vargoyle through the sky to the next village over. Yeah, I quite like the fact that it seems to suggest when it's talking about that, that they're almost like, might be like sort of like ticks or parasites mm-hmm. on other demons. And I quite like that because it sort of suggests a larger like ecology mm-hmm. for like demons rather than just like, oh, we're demons, we're not around in the lower plane, like destroying stuff and being evil until we get summoned. It suggests that like, there's other types of creatures as parasites and animals and stuff like that that are native to the abyss, which I think it sort of hints at a larger sort of world, which I quite like. 
Okay, and then something that I noticed when I was reading through this earlier that sort of made my brain itch. We've got one section here about ghastly reproduction that describes the Vargoro's kiss turning a humanoid into a Vargoyle. And then we've got the box out, as we always do. Yeah, stat block. And about a quarter of that box out is taken out by another description of the kiss that includes a lot of the same information. Yeah. And it just seemed like a waste of space. <laughs> I, I think we sort of see that a bit in 5th edition where, like, because they tried to put every monster mm -hmm. on a second page, and I think there was just some monsters where they didn't really have enough text mm -hmm. to sort of, like, justify it. Make your pictures bigger. Don't repeat yourselves. There's no problem. I mean, you see the same with, like, the various, like, quotes from, like, Elminster and Volo and stuff like that mm. that are basically just jammed in whenever they've, like, got a bit of space to fill. I tell you what, I did, I did find unsettling then the fifth edition one because mm. it seemed to me that it hinted that they retained some of their knowledge or, if not their personality, from their prior existence since it says in there that they, they can retain languages from before they became a Vargwheel, even though they can't speak. Now, if you retain a language from before your transformation, that suggests to me that some part of them exists, which makes sense because mm -hmm. their brain's in the head and the head is the bit that survives. But it sort of makes me wonder like, what happens to the person's personality and how much of that person actually continues to exist after they're transformed. Well, yeah, it's definitely a gruesome end for a character yeah. if they end up as one of these things. I mean, we know with like things like vampires and stuff like that, part of the horror is like they're sort of like the person they used to be, but they get all these weird like conflicting urges and like hungers that make them into something different and horrifying. And I could see very much like the Vargwheel sort of like going the same way. Mm-hmm. You know, so there's that horror of, like, say, if one of your player party gets turned into one and you get some vague hints that, like, there's still some bit of them in there, but they're now this flapping, like, predatory abyssal creature. So I think they could, they could be a great, great in a horror game, I think. Oh, absolutely. So, you know we're going to hear about it if we don't look them up in Pathfinder. Are That's they in right. There? They are indeed in Pathfinder, and check out that sweet artwork. It looks boggle like a human head, but that if you're going to make a head look like fiendish with wings, that's how you do it. Mm -hmm. Although I'm not a mad fan of like Pathfinder First Edition, I have got to say that like the artwork in the vestries is consistently like top banana mm -hmm. to the point where like if I'm looking for inspiration for a D and D esque monster, I genuinely look for the Pathfinder artwork first of all just because it, the consistency is far better. Okay, so in terms of the actual stats, it's still got the shriek, it's got the poison, it's got the kiss. Again, the kiss transformation takes quite a long time. It's got multiple stages, like 3.5, so you've got more time to reverse and delay it, but as you were saying, love, mm -hmm. it sort of drags out that sort of horrifying transformation. The poison, however, is more reminiscent of the first edition permanent hit point damage. And basically, it prevents healing of this damage by magic unless the caster can make a DC 20 caster check. 
So you can still heal it with magic, but you've got to make a check to do so. Fog wheels are described in the Pathfinder Bestiary as being larger than a human head, typically between 12 and 20 inches high, with a wingspan of 15 to 35 inches. And I've got a note here to remind myself that the artwork in this book is quality, which <laughs> it is. They're fiendish creatures who often haunt battlefields or anywhere death and decay can be found. So sort of a bit like the sort of 3.5 version. They attack in flocks. They have this hideous method of reproduction, which is obviously the Vargwheel's kiss. And that makes and that and the relative ease with which they can be summoned to the material plane, as it describes mm-hmm. in here, makes them a threat because you can summon a handful of them. And if they can get their hands on like a well, not literally their hands because they ain't bloody got any, but if they can get their if they can get their, their lips on a a village of poor peasants, you could quickly like have a massive flock of Vargwheels, and the more you've got, the more they can turn into Vargwheels. And pretty soon you could be looking at a massive like plague of them, basically. Mm-hmm. So, here's a question for you. Okay. We're talking about heads. Yep. And we can assume that this creature needs a head of a specific sort of a size. Yeah, yeah. What's wrong with a cow's head? Or rather, I suppose what I'm asking is... Does the creature need to be of a particular size, of a particular intelligence? Does it need to be a creature with a soul, so to speak? Now, obviously, you're free to do whatever you want with your own setting. Mm-hmm. But I would say no. I mean, we know from certain mon- like undead mainly monsters that can transform people. Like, there's quite a lot of them where it says they specifically need a humanoid. And it says that. Whereas this doesn't specify at all. So I would assume any creature with a head is fair game. And I can't think of anything more scary than some like demonic like cow head with bat wings like coming at me mm-hmm. out of the darkness. Except the fact that you know that there's a herd of about five hundred head of cattle out there. Yeah. And I mean <laughs> if we look at the if we look at the Pathfinder stats for instance, just because Pathfinder provides like attributes for monsters and we can see it's only got intelligence five mm-hmm. so it can't speak it sort of understands languages it knew in life but i get the feeling from the description of its behavior in various books that it mainly sort of acts on predatory instinct mm-hmm. which obviously humans and demi-humans have got sort of like buried deep down but animals have got nearer to the surface anyway so i suppose what i'm getting at here really is that even though we've already talked a bit about how you could use this with a player character, how you could use it with a lot of body horror to or drama to like utterly destroy a character, yeah. you can also still use this monster and make it completely terrifying and just have it attacking animals and not worry about all the sort of emotional drama of it if you wanted to use it as a silly monster oh yeah and i mean let's face it you you could do the old i can imagine the scene you know you've you're a group of venturers you're rocked into this village what is there the commotion going on old farmer joskins is like oh someone's been killing all my cows well he's found all of his cows with the heads missing like oh someone's chopped the heads off my cows so you're looking around for a vandal or an evil cult whatever turns out it's a vargoyle but now it's got like a herd of like cowhead Vargwheels with it as well. So I think that'd be pretty cool as a 
as a sort of little encounter you know like if you say mm-hmm. if you if you wanted to just sort of like use it as less of a sort of body horror it's just a monster you wanted a bit less moral ambiguity mm-hmm. you could do that you could easily say oh yeah it's it's ravaged the local livestock and converted all them into into vargrails and you could do it like that and obviously from that tracks all the various things that you could do with this with whatever local livestock or other monsters you've got in your game. Yeah. I mean, what happens if one of these bites a dragon? I know the dragon's going to have some dirty saving throws against it, but what if it fails a load of them? It does raise an interesting sort of point, though. Uh, whether... Because, obviously, we assume that the Vargwheel you sort of get the stats for is, like, your generic sort of human, demi-human head... It does raise the interesting idea, though, if like, a Vargwheel was created from like a dragon, would it still have a breath weapon? Because, <laughs> strictly speaking, that's not really physically possible, is it? It's magical. Now, I know we got some anatomical drawings in 3rd Ed. Oh, in the Draconomicon. But I can't remember whether the fire-breathing mechanism was above or below the jawline. I know it was somewhere there in the back of the throat. I suppose it'd depend on whether or not they retained that mechanism yeah. when it changed. And, I mean, would it just change with the Vargoyle? And, I mean, to, to be fair, they're obviously magical creatures because they're fiendish for a start. Mm-hmm. And also, we know that, like, physically speaking, given the size of them, a giant head with two little bat wings wouldn't really be able to fly. So... Does the magic enable that in the same way they can retain their languages? Does the magic let them retain some other abilities? Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting to ponder. Obviously, you could do what you want with it in your campaign, but uh, it makes me think of the old um, like template monsters they introduced in um, 3.5. Yeah, very much. And I, I could easily see, I mean, obviously, you'd have to like work one out yourself, but like making like a Vargwheel template. And perhaps having like the big boss fog wheels, like some big dragon head or like purple worm head or something mm. like that. I don't know. I think you wouldn't really need a template as such. You could just add one or two powers onto whatever you've got there. Oh, yeah, definitely. And maybe for like weaker creatures, like the example cows, take a hit dice off it. I mean, I, th- I think you to be fair, need to spend hours messing about with templates. If, if I was going to sort of freeball it, which is probably what I'd do, because I'd like, <laughs> I wouldn't be going to the whole length of making a template because I don't really like play three point five. All I'd do is I'd just take the basic stats of a Vargwheel. If it's like some like double hard like armored up enemy like a dragon, give it a bit of extra armor class. Then maybe like you say, look through its abilities and pick one two abilities. And then just like bump its XP up a bit, and there you, you go. Certainly wouldn't want to give it all of the abilities of whatever its previous no, creature no. was, because it's already got some dirty powers with the kiss and the paralyzing shriek. Yeah, and that's uh, an interesting uh, power that we've not really talked about as well. The shriek. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those powers I found a bit troublesome, and uh, Colin from um, Spike Pit did a whole big thing about this, where he's talking about. Um, so mechanics that basically mean people are excluded from the game. Because obviously if you get like paralysed by that, effectively you can't do anything while you're paralysed. So I'm, I'm a bit on the fence with sort of paralysation effects. Because whilst I can see, oh yeah, they represent a dangerous threat and stuff like that, you want to avoid it, obviously. I could see how if it was like a long-term paralysis 
and you got hit by it at the start of a battle and then you're like, well, I've basically got to sit here doing nothing for the battle. That could be quite boring. Yeah, I think it's something that, you know, it's to do with how your GM handles it, how the scene plays out. But it's something that could be quite an interesting thing to use sort of from a GM point of view. Yeah, and I mean... sort of go, hey, let's just freeze this scene for a moment and I'm going to tell you all about how horrific it is because everybody's character's just frozen in space for the next eight seconds and here's what you see. I can see how you could build up a lot of drama with that and then when they're released, they've had a couple of moments to think about what's going on. They've had, you know... Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think as well, it, it can be. I think probably that's one of its most dangerous powers, the paralysis. Mm-hmm. Even though we've not talked about it, because I mean, to like, to like hop back to like one of my old like Rosa Westhaven like Midlands games I ran. One of the campaigns for that ended after the players had fought their way through like this whole dungeon. There were like loads of undead in there, and I spent ages being like, "Oh, these, are these whites and these like ghosts and whatever." They're going to be like a bit difficult for the players, and they romped through all of that without worry. However, at the end, I just thrown like a couple of ghouls in because I was like, "Oh yeah, they're just like the bin men of the dungeon. Effectively, they eat all the like the rubbish that and the bodies of people that the undead kill." and the player character just got really unlucky. All but one of them failed their saving throws. The one who didn't fail the save was a rogue, and he was like, forget this, I'm off. Mm-hmm. And all the rest of the player characters just got eaten while they were stood there mm-hmm. by the ghouls, and that was pretty much the end of the campaign. So I think paralysis can be quite a dangerous thing if you're not careful. Yeah. Yeah, paralysis, handle with care. Yeah. i tell you what I do also think, as well as... Uh, if we go back to the horror element, I do think a good thing. Obviously, a lot of people are sort of bothered by the idea of like flocks of bats and stuff like that, like mm-hmm. flying around them. I can only imagine how much more horrifying it'd be if like the bats were like people's faces mm-hmm. floating around you. That'd be, I mean, I'm not bothered about bats, that's grand, but if it was a lot of people's faces floating around me, I'd probably be a little bit less calm about it. I'm trying to remember what anime it is that I've seen a creature like this in. One of those, like, 80s movies that I used to have on a VHS. There were about six of them. One of them was Laughing Target, but I don't think it was that. don't know. If anyone out there is listening and you remember an anime with, like, a a floaty bat-winged head in it, call in and let us know. (laughs) And I think that's probably about it for this episode. Yeah, yeah. Like I say, sorry it's taken us a while to get this out. Minor health problems aside, hopefully we can get back to a normal schedule now. We hope you've enjoyed this. If you want to get in touch with us, maybe to talk about the Vargwheels, maybe you can remember that anime that Hannah's talking about from the 80s. Maybe you've got a suggestion for other things you'd like to say, or you'd just like a chat. Either way, you can get in touch with us a couple of different ways. There is the SpeakPipe website, which there'll be a link to in the description of the show. Or if you're having trouble with that... We've also still got our old Anchor account open, which you can leave a voicemail message on. Again, link to that below. Or you can send us an email to oddrpgpodcast at gmail.com. Until we see you next time, take care, stay safe, and whenever you're playing, have fun. Bye.